Well, good morning. My name is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we are coming to the final stretch in our sermon series in the book of Philemon. This is our last week in a four-part series that we've looked at. Uh, Philemon is this really tiny book. It's a small letter, short letter in the, in the New Testament. It's so small that as you're looking at the New Testament, scanning through the different books, you probably will pass it a few times trying to find it. It's just snuck right in there. Uh, it's a really small letter, but it, it packs a, a pretty big punch in terms of how it, how it relates to our lives and how it speaks into our relationships, in particular regarding the area of, of forgiveness and, and confessing of our sin, things that all of us have to deal with. And this book deals with it. If you've uh, been with us from the very beginning, you'll have heard kind of the background story of why this letter was written. But in case this is your first time uh, hearing a, a sermon about the book of Philemon, here, here's the, the brief context for it. The Apostle Paul is the name of the person writing the letter. And the Apostle Paul is sending this letter through the hands of someone named Onesimus. Now, Onesimus was a slave of a Christian man named Philemon. And all kinds of alarm bells start going off in our head when we start thinking about someone who could be a Christian and a slave owner, because we have th pictures in our minds of modern-day slavery. And uh, for a great explanation and exploration of uh, how first-century slavery is similar and different to modern-day slavery, I'll refer you to the first sermon in our sermon series that our lead pastor, Pastor Jeff, preached. Uh, basically, there, there's some similarities for sure with modern-day slavery in the sense that that slaves weren't considered their own people, they were considered property, but there were a lot of differences too because slaves weren't just slaves because of the skin color they had or the job that they did. They, they, they were employees in some sense to people. So Philemon is this really wealthy guy who actually is a, is a bit of a, a church planter. He, he has a, a church that is meeting in his household and he has some slaves. One of them was named Onesimus. And Onesimus ran away and probably stole from his master Philemon. At some point, when Onesimus was on his journey as a runaway slave, he became a Christian. At some point in his life as a Christian, he came across the path of the Apostle Paul. At some point in his ministry with the Apostle Paul, he started talking about his, his background and his history. And even though at this point, Onesimus was, was a, a partner in gospel ministry with the Apostle Paul, Paul calls him my own heart. He really liked Onesimus. Ministry was going great, but at some point, the story came out about how Onesimus came to Paul, and Paul realized, man, we got to deal with this relational fracture between Onesimus and Philemon. So Paul writes a postcard, and he takes the opportunity to actually also write a letter to the church that's gathering in Philemon's house in the city of Colossae, the letter of the book of, to the Colossians. He sends Philemon out with these two letters in his hand, one a book for the whole church to read, one a personal postcard to his former master Philemon that was supposed to be read out in the assembly. And what the, past, what the, what the book, the little letter is all about is forgiveness. Here's, here's kind of the core of it. In verse 17, Paul says, to Philemon, if you consider me a partner, a, 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 ministry, a minister and the gospel partner, then welcome Onesimus as you would welcome me. And if he's done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I'll pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. Paul is pleading with Onesimus. He's instructing Onesimus to receive back his runaway slave, not just as a slave, but more than a slave, 
as a brother in Christ, as a co-worker, a co-laborer in the gospel. See, the book of Philemon is a really short letter that packs a really big punch. It's all about relationship and reconciliation between those who have conflict. And so this morning, as we finish the book, we're going to learn even more about forgiveness. Two things in particular. We're going to see that when it comes to forgiveness, we should anticipate it in others. And secondly, we should do it ourselves. So when it comes to forgiveness, we'll end the book of Philemon by looking at the fact that we should anticipate it in others and do it ourselves. First, let's look at how we should anticipate it in others. The book of Philemon, verse 20, Paul writes to Philemon, I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you'll do even more than I ask. And one more thing, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. In the last verse of this section, Paul, uh, it's kind of a little funny turn in terms of how the letter is read because Philemon's reading the letter. He said, he's told, you know, welcome Onesimus as if you were welcoming me. By the way, I'm coming over. We're going to hang out. So get a room ready. Verse 20, he says, I, I would really love it if you would, would welcome Onesimus back, right? This is like a, a dad talking to his kids saying, you know what would make me really happy, kids, is if you guys just got along, right? Refresh my heart in Christ. Do me this favor. Just receive back Onesimus. And in verse 21 is a really intriguing thing that Paul says. He says that he is confident of Philemon's obedience, He's expecting, he's anticipating that Philemon is actually going to follow through on what Paul is commanding him to do. He, uh, I, I have these neighbors that live right beside me, and they're fantastic. They're, they're the best kinds of neighbors you could want. They're the kind of people that you, you text them and you say, hey, we, we ran out of sugar and we're making cookies. Can you bring over some sugar? And they, they put down the amount of sugar that you need on the front of your doorstep, and then they knock on the door, and then they're also holding like a dozen cookies themselves. And they're like, you said you want cookies, and so here's the sugar you asked for, and I'll do even more. When I text my neighbors and I ask for something, I'm anticipating that not only are they going to do what I am asking, but they're probably going to do even more than I ask. This is what Paul is saying to Philemon. Look, I want you to receive back Onesimus, and I'm confident that you'll actually do this. You'll probably do even more than I'm asking. Paul, Paul is, is anticipating that Philemon is actually going to do what he's being asked to do. In other words, Paul's anticipating that Philemon will actually act like a Christian. So why, why is Paul anticipating that Philemon would forgive Onesimus, his runaway slave now standing on his doorstep? I think the primary motive for Paul trusting that Philemon would receive Onesimus back is that Paul knows that Philemon believes the gospel. See, the gospel is the core message of Christianity. The gospel is the true story that through our inclinations and through our actions, we have sold ourselves into slavery to death. That's the realm in which we live, but we have a God who is pursuing us who are enslaved to death, and he's done it primarily and most fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. See, Jesus came and lived the perfect life that we should have 
lived. Christ died the death that we deserved, and through his death, he pays what is necessary to redeem us, to take us out of our slavery to death and call us his own. And he rose again from the grave to validate his ministry and give us a taste of a vision of what our eternal future of flourishing will be with him. See, through the work of Christ, we are redeemed out of our slavery from shame, and we are brought into a place of honor. He takes us out of our despair, and he gives us hope. He takes us out of the land of the dead, brings us to the land of the living. And he transforms us from hellbound to holy. And when Christians believe this message, they are transformed by this message. The Spirit of God fills them, and then they start actually acting like Jesus. The reason why Paul's anticipating Philemon to respond positively to his instruction to forgive is because Paul's anticipating that Philemon will actually act like a Christian because he's been transformed by the message of the gospel through the power of the Spirit. Lee Strobel's the name of a really popular author who's written a really popular book. That's usually how it happens, right? Lee Strobel wrote a book called The Case for Christ. It's, uh, it's an examination. As he was an atheist, and his wife became a Christian. And he was not happy about his wife becoming a Christian, and so he decided he was going to prove how stupid Christianity actually is and investigate the fact that Christianity is like, just a story of like fairies and dragons. It's, like, it's no better than any other little mythical story. So he, as an investigative journalist, as a lawyer background, he, he dives into all of the, the related documents to the historicity of Jesus and the resurrection, and he dives into these documents trying to prove that it's fake, and he actually finds himself believing it to be true. And he writes the case for Christ. But Strobel doesn't say that the only reason he believes is because of the historicity. One of the main reasons that Strobel even started on this journey was that he saw that his wife was different after she became a Christian. Something happened in her where she, she started living differently. A few years ago, I taught an intro to Christianity class and there was a few people sitting around a table and on the first week before the class started, uh, someone came into the class and no one else was in there yet. There was a few minutes before it started and so we started chatting and he told me about his life story. He told me about the, the addictions that he was in, about the trouble that he got himself into, about all of the different issues of his life surrounding him. And he told me that he's interested in Christianity. Someone told him about Jesus. They, they, they told him about the church. That he's interested in looking into what the Bible has to say. And, and throughout this class, he was like the only one who was taking notes and paying attention and really excited about the whole thing. And and I've been able to kind of follow up with him in the, in the past few years and, and see how he lives his life. And look, if even a quarter of what he told me before is true, he is a transformed man now. Because when people believe the gospel, it actually transforms them. Christians can actually act like Christians, because the Spirit of God indwells them and helps them look more like Jesus. Not in perfection, but definitely in progression. So the Apostle Paul, in another letter he wrote, 
uh, called the book of Galatians, he says these words. He says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Paul's saying there's just these things that come out of Christians because the Spirit of God is in them and produces these things. We have a a plant in our front yard at at my house. We have a spotty history of uh, planting. Uh, Not green thumbs, as you would call. But man, we have this tomato plant, and it is booming right now. Like It's doing real nice. It's like my pride and joy, actually, this plant. It's just going, right? It's the seed got in the soil, and boom, tomato plant. That, that's what it's like with Christians, with the Spirit of God in them. They start have the, they, they have the fruits of the Spirit come out of them. It just, it just happens. See, Paul's expecting Philemon to forgive Onesimus because that kind of behavior comes out of the life of a Christian. In other words, we can expect Christians to act Christianly. Uh, when I was in grade seven, I, I was at the, the pinnacle of my athletic prowess. I was uh, this height, which in grade seven is a big deal. Uh, about 80 pounds lighter. And so I was on the basketball team, and I love basketball. I think it's one of the, the best sports you could play. And, and I was like, I was real good. I was a really good player on, on our team. And, and so I was starting to follow basketball really closely, and then they took the Grizzlies away from us, and so I had to find a team, and everyone's like, cheer for the Raptors, they're Canada's team, and they're not. It's a lie. <laughs> you don't have to be a Raptors fan. You can live out of that freedom now, okay? <laughs> so the team I started following was the San Antonio Spurs, because I was tall in grade seven, and I thought I was kind of like Tim Duncan, who was their best player. And so I'm following this team, and what was crazy about the Spurs was it, it doesn't matter who the player is in the jersey, they just played the Spurs way. They'd pass the ball a lot, they'd play great defense, they would consistently make the playoffs year after year after year. It was, didn't matter who was in the jersey, when they put it on, they played like a spur. The reason I'm saying that is because Paul uses similar language when it comes to putting on the jersey of the Christian life. In the book of Colossians, the other letter that Onesimus is handing to Philemon, the book of Colossians chapter 3 says, don't lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Verse 12, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. See, when a Spurs player puts on a Spurs jersey, they play like a spur. And Paul is saying, when a Christian puts on the Christian jersey, they'll play like a Christian. You'll know it because they look compassionate and kind and humble and gentle and patient. And they forgive others. You can expect Christians to actually act like Christians. This past week, I got an email. A bunch of us got an email from a, a lady in our church who listened to the sermon last weekend about forgiveness. And she was talking about how she was sitting in the sermon, and at some point, her best friend came to her mind. Because, see, she, she knows 
that her best friend had wronged her a great deal and that she had also wronged her. And this relationship was just fractured and she, she knew that she couldn't go another day without actually addressing this conflict with her friend. So she continued on the email. I, I actually, I called her and I said that I'm sorry and that I forgive her what, for what she did to me and their relationship is now way better than it was before. They're making plans for how they can spend summer weekends together. Look, we shouldn't be surprised that a Christian can act like a Christian. It's what the Spirit of God does in us. That's what Paul is saying to Philemon. I'm confident that you will actually welcome back Onesimus. You can do this. This is kind of a challenge for people like me because I'm the kind of person who thinks that in the fruit of the Spirit, Paul should have also included pessimism and cynicism. (laughs) Like I function like my pessimism and cynicism is a good thing. When people bring ideas forward at little staff meetings that we have for our East Abbotsford campus, they say things like, "Let's, let's try this. And I usually respond with something like, everyone will hate it and it won't work. And they're like, okay, thanks for the morale boost. I have a colleague whose name is Kyle, and Kyle is not like me in this way. Kyle's an optimist. Kyle's the guy who in the meeting would say, it'll totally work out. That sounds amazing. I imagine this going really well for us. See, what this part of the letter of Philemon teaches us is that we should be more like Kyle. Rather than being pessimistic and cynical that people can't actually act like Christians, we should trust that the Spirit of God indwells those who believe the gospel, and the Spirit of God can actually transform people and help them live like Jesus. Not in perfection, but definitely in progression. We can have confidence that Christians will act like Christians. Paul's telling Philemon, look, I know you can forgive Onesimus. Secondly, this passage also teaches us that when it comes to forgiveness, we need to do it ourselves. Verse 23, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. There's a really interesting detail that Paul places in the end of his letter, right? His little greetings part, the kind of a, the, the part of a letter that we typically just gloss over and don't really think about. It's just a bunch of names, right? But in a book about forgiving those who have wronged you, Paul includes Mark as his fellow worker. Now that's interesting because about 10 years earlier in Paul's life, he would not have called Mark his fellow worker. See, here's the story in the book of Acts, chapter 15, verse 36. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, one of his church planting colleagues, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Paul's saying, hey, why don't we, this is a good missionary strategy. We planted a bunch of churches. Let's go check up on them. Let's go see how it's going. Let's take a trip and visit these people that we've already worked with. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement, Paul and Barnabas, that they parted company. 
Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. See, 10 years before Paul wrote the letter to Philemon, he was in a situation with his friend Barnabas fighting over Mark. Because he's mad because at some point in their ministry, Mark had deserted the efforts of Paul and Barnabas, and he went back because of whatever reason, but he left them. And this, man, this made Paul mad. So they're planning a trip, their next missions trip. Let's go visit some of the churches we planned. And Barnabas is like, you know who we should bring? Mark. Paul's like, Mark? Mark. You want Mark? Mark. Like the Mark who left us, Mark? No way. There's not a chance I'm going anywhere with Mark. Barnabas is saying, no, no, like what if, I don't know, we could try to make, it's not happening, Barney. Sorry, man. You want to go travel with Mark? Travel with Mark. I'm taking Silas. He's better anyways. I like Silas better. Sharp disagreement. And now Philemon is reading this letter. And Philemon's reading this letter to his church. And you might not know this, but sometimes people who are involved in, in teaching and preaching, we, we have the words coming out of our mouths, but there's also kind of like an internal dialogue that takes place. Right? So like I can see people now. This is one of the things I don't know if people are aware of at Northview. Is like I can see you in the middle sections here. So when, when you like yawn or look at the clock, I have an internal dialogue happening where I think I've lost them. They hate me and this is going really poorly. But I'm still preaching other things at that moment. I bet when Philemon was reading this letter that he received, and he's reading about how he's supposed to forgive this Onesimus who's returned, he's probably thinking to himself, how dare Paul call me to forgive when he has this whole issue with Mark? And then he gets to the end of the letter, and Paul says, you know who wants to say hi? Mark. <laughs> My fellow worker. Actually, a few years later, Paul writes to his friend Timothy, and he says uh, these year, th this. He says, do your best to come to me quickly, Timothy, because Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark. Bring him with you. He's so helpful to me in my ministry. I love Mark. Mark's my boy. See, there was a point in his ministry where Paul wanted nothing to do with Mark. And now here he is 15 years later telling Timothy, you know who would be really fun to be around? Mark. Look, Paul practiced what he preached when it came to reconciliation with those he has disagreements with. It's what Christians do. We, we don't just talk about how this is a good idea for my cousin or my neighbor or my guy in the community group. God's word is for us to respond to, and Paul practiced what he preached. Look, I don't know how the two of them got reconciled. We don't have the details. Maybe Mark came to him one time and apologized for deserting them mid-trip, and Paul said, look, what am I going to do? Not forgive you? I'm a Christian. Or maybe Paul went to Mark one day and he said, look, I totally overreacted to you leaving us, and I should have listened to Barnabas. And Mark probably would have said something like, of course I forgive you. What am I going to do? Not of course I will, I'm a Christian, that's what we do. We don't know how the situation reconciled, what we do know is that the former uh, estrangement in the relationship became a reconciled relationship. Paul actually practiced what he preached, 
It's a question for us. A book, a small book, right? Philemon, little letter, massive implications. Are we willing to actually practice what we preach? Are we willing to be the kind of people who will apologize for the way that we've wronged others? Because really, that's what's going on in this letter, right? The backstory is that Onesimus, the one who wronged Philemon, is the one bringing the letter to Philemon. Now, there's a lot of opportunities between Rome and Colossae on a multi-day journey for Onesimus to think to himself as he's looking up at the stars, yeah, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to deliver this letter. I don't want to go see Philemon again. But no, what does Onesimus do? He shows up. He's on the doorstep. He probably looked Philemon in the eye and said, I'm sorry that I wronged you. And before Philemon lashed out on him, he brought out the postcard to say, Paul wants to say something to you. See, Onesimus admitted his wrongdoing. Are we willing to be like Onesimus? See, I think one of the challenges for us is that we're Christians in Canada. Here's what I mean by that. I'm not convinced that the greatest challenge to to Christians in Canada is the outside pressure on Canadian Christians. I think it's actually the internal struggle. Because the irony of Christians in Canada is that we'll say sorry for anything if we bump into someone in a grocery store. But we won't actually deal with conflict head on. We pretend that the avoidance of conflict is the absence of conflict. And rather, we we trade what we think is being polite for actually being passive-aggressive. But the only way relationships can be restored is if those who have done wrong go to someone and say, I have done you wrong. I'm standing on your porch. Would you forgive me? It takes dealing with the conflict head-on. The question is, are we willing to be the kind of people who go to the porches of those who we've wronged and said, I've wronged you? Would you forgive me? Maybe we've we've cheated them in a business dealing. Maybe we've damaged their reputation behind their backs by the way we spoke of them. Or maybe we broke some promise that we vowed we would keep. The question that the book of Philemon presses on those who read it is, are we willing to be like Onesimus and admit our wrongdoing? Not only that, are we willing to forgive those who've wronged us Onesimus is on the porch of Philemon, and Onesimus says, I'm sorry, and would you forgive me? And Philemon is, in that moment, probably not very happy with his runaway slave, but he reads the letter that Paul has written for him, and he reads Paul's instruction to welcome this guy as a fellow worker, as a brother. He's no longer your non-Christian runaway, terrible employee. He's actually a co-laborer in the gospel. Paul, you should receive him back as such. So Philemon has the opportunity to deal with Onesimus in the moment. The question is, are we going to deal with those who have wronged us like Philemon did Onesimus? When they're standing at our porch, they look us in the eyes and they say that we've done you wrong. Are we willing to say, I forgive you? They might have cheated us on a business dealing. Or maybe they spoke poorly about us behind our backs. Or maybe they broke vows that they promised 
to keep, but the question for us is, are we, are we willing to actually practice what we preach and forgive those who have wronged us? See, our willingness to forgive those who have wronged us and to confess our wrongdoing doesn't just have personal, private implications, although it does. It also has implications for the sake of the whole community. Here's what I mean by that. We Christians, we live in a boat. A lot of us think that the boat we live in is a cruise ship that's parked in a harbor. And we can have excursions and have the buffet and go to the pool and relax. And so we think to ourselves, look, we live on this boat and what's the big deal if I can't look my brother in the eye? I have to go to a different service than them. I can't go to the 9 a.m. because they'll be there. I can't go to West Corp because I know they'll be there. What's the big deal if I can't actually be at peace with my brother in Christ? We're just on a cruise ship. The thing will keep going anyways. But Christians don't live on a cruise ship. We live on a rowboat. We're going somewhere. We're not stationary, we're on a mission together. And our boat won't go very fast if we refuse to pick up our oar because that guy did us wrong. And that guy won't forgive me. See, our interpersonal conflicts have an effect on the mission that we're on. That's why Paul tells us, look, as much as you can, be at peace with one another. Do whatever you need to so that you can look at the person beside you who has their oar in the water and look at them and say, I'll still row beside this person. The relationship might not be perfect. I might not love everything about them, but for the sake of our relationship, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the mission, I'll put my oar in and I'll row alongside him. See, Paul is coming to Philemon and saying, look, Onesimus is one of our co-laborers in the gospel. He's been really helpful to me in my ministry. And I can just imagine if you two reconcile the kind of star team that would form in the church of Colossae, this would be really good for you, for you two to be reconciled for the sake of the mission. See, reconciliation isn't just important for our private, personal lives. It's important because we have to put our oars in the water and get to work. As a church, we're, we're trying to, to go forward with this multiplication vision as a, as, a, as a body to decide, look, we wanna give, we wanna serve, we wanna pray, we wanna do anything we can so that we can make disciples of Jesus through healthy local churches. And there's challenges to that. One of the challenges would be if we don't give. One of the challenges would be if we don't serve. One of the challenges would be if we don't pray. Another challenge is if we don't actually get our relationships right. We're not just living on a cruise ship, we're rowing together on a boat. So whatever we have to do to make it so we can look to the person beside us and say, I'm willing to work beside you, we have to do it ourselves. If that's confessing our wrongdoing or if that's forgiving those who have wronged us. Because look, when it comes to obeying what God asks of us, particularly when it comes to what this book This little book with a big punch asks us to, which is confessing our sins and forgiving those who have wronged us, we have to do it ourselves. But look, I'm confident that we can. Christians connect like Christians, right? Let me pray for us.
Father, I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful for this little book that deals with real life situations and it deals with our real life situations. Even though this letter wasn't written to us, man, is it for us. So Lord, I ask that by your spirit, you would help us to be the kind of people who would confess our sins to those that we've wronged. That by your spirit, you would help us to forgive those who have wronged us and that we could live at peace with one another, that our relationships would be restored and we can work alongside each other, not just for our own relationship's sake, but for the sake of the mission that you've called us to. So forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. We pray for your fame and in Jesus' name. Amen.